This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Brian Anderson, a seasoned executive in what we have coined the Halo sector, which he is now going to use as his term as well. Um, he's got a, uh, a an interesting background on the operating side, and then most recently have been doing some things worth helping entrepreneurs and helping grow some smaller size businesses. And we are going to talk to him about where he thinks the market's going, where there are opportunities, and probably do a little forecast on on the next sea uh, level position he is going to take, which we will calibrate by the end of the podcast. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. So um, why don't you just give your background? So uh, you know the uh, the audience here, which are a lot of health club operators, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, companies that are you know at an inflection point and trying to figure out, hey, what's the next thing I should do? And, and I'll listen to Halo talks to maybe find like, hey, that's a interesting person I should talk to, or that's a, an interesting idea of where I should be taking my business. So, uh, in the interest of uh, having people put their their lights up, why don't you um, talk about what you've been doing? in your career and then kind of where, you know, we'll, we'll kind of fall on where, where the future lies. Sure. Sounds good. I, I, I sort of trifurcate my career into three chunks, spent several years in my twenties, um, in the corporate world and details don't matter, but the corporate world was, um, not for me, inefficient, red tape, bureaucracy, politics, all that stuff. And I'm yeah. like, I'm out of here. So did well, got some stuff under my belt. Chapter one done. Chapter two was a 15-year period of time, in my case, from 99 to 2014, where I got into the, um, I can call it entrepreneurial world, but really early-stage companies, growth-focused, consumer consumer brands, consumer-focused, but all in the halo space. Mm-hmm. Outdoor, active lifestyle, sports, fitness, wellness, health. Um, those three companies, um, one was outdoor apparel and accessories, one was um, fitness accessories, and one was action sports. But what they all had in common was that um, they were all really high-growth companies. So the first one we took from 1 to 45 million in five years. The next one was private equity-owned, took it from 35 to 100 million in five years. And the last one was a startup that we took from startup to about 20 million in four years. So, um, you know, went really hard for 15 years. It was awesome. Had an amazing set of experiences, really mm-hmm. great time, a lot of wonderful people. Uh, and then 2014 came, I exited my last company, took a big, deep breath <laughs> and said, you know, uh, I want to chill for a little while. I have three awesome daughters, so I've spent a lot of time with them. Mm-hmm. So that's chapter two was these three operating roles with, you know, companies under a couple hundred million, but, you know, with still with some scope and size um, and, you know, all pretty high growth and, and successful. Um, chapter three for me has been interesting. Since 2014, I've, um, uh, you know, my intention was to take a year or two off and, and kind of kind of reset, recalibrate a little bit and spend mm-hmm. time with my daughters. But I kept um, getting kind of pulled in. Um, by friends in the industry to um, helping companies, basically. So I, I kind of became a strategic advisor, management consultant, um, interim CEO, interim president. And that all started with, hey, uh, hey Brian, just do me a favor, just take this one meeting. And- Pete's exactly how it was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, pull hey, you, they pull me in. I've got this buddy who, you know, uh, started up this company. This brand has great potential, but they're struggling with what to do next or where to go. You know, yeah, and Just I- take one meeting. Next thing you know, it's on your resume. Exactly. And you're like yeah. on the board. 
board. And then eight, <laughs> eight or ten of those later, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool set of experiences. So I've yeah. so I've um, done a, a series of interim, part time, short term gigs as much as as much as full time for nine months, down to just being a strategic advisor and sort of helping helping friends in the industry. And I've done a lot of that over the last five years. It's been really cool. So what's the common thread that you see with these companies? You know, you're talking about going from one to you know, 45 and 35 to a hundred. What, what's kind of like the, the special sauce or do you, do you see that, um, you know, the market demand's already been proven. This company's in a good position. They just don't know how to do X. Yeah. Well, the first thing you just hit on is, is key one, which is the, you have to know that the market potential's there. A lot of people aren't, you know, w- w- people with ideas, and I have to admit, I'm not a pure entrepreneur in the sense that I'm not an idea guy, right? I'm more of an executor operator. I typically join other people who have great ideas. But a lot of people, you know, get entrepreneurs get in the weeds on their own idea and put blinders on a little bit. So I think the first step or the first key is to truly recognize that there's significant growth potential in the idea, the product, the whatever it is, mm-hmm. realistically. And everybody puts a five-year plan together. You ever, how, many, how many business plans have you seen? Have you ever seen one that said, I'm going to be stagnant? <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen. Yeah, so, year four, I think I'm going to take a dip yeah, and yeah, I'm going to redo my sales I, initiatives. I, I think and, I would invest in that person, actually, because <laughs> be honest for once. Uh, but, yeah. but um, you know, the idea has to be solid and scalable mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And I think a lot aren't because, you know, people are a little too close to ideas. But after that, to me, it's all about people. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not an expert at this stuff. I'm not some guru, but, but I just the way I see this stuff, there, there needs to be a clear vision, and then a leader's job is to is is to put a really buttoned up, solid strategic plan in place to execute on that vision. Mm-hmm. And after that, it is all about people, man. You put the right org structure in place, which by the way, needs to change frequently. Mm-hmm. Like if I put a business plan, if I put a five-year plan together, I'm going to have an org chart every six months, a different org chart, because it, you need to show how the organization is going to grow over that period of time. Mm-hmm. Put the right organizational structure in place without consideration for who those people are, and then hire the best damn people you can in every single mm-hmm. role, and then motivate them, excite them, rah rah, mm-hmm. and and you know and that includes compensation structures and, and equity structures that get people pumped up, and and then and then to me a good leader turns into a support person after mm-hmm. that. It's- so just on this org chart because I, I feel like um, when people put these on paper, they still kind of have like a traditional org chart, which kind of works in in a lot of organizations. Then I've seen like org charts where um, like the CEO is kind of like in the middle, you know, and it's almost like like circles outward, yeah. like like I'm putting down on paper here. And I saw one the other day where someone's like, you know, had all of his line positions here and like he was here, almost like he was like the quarterback or right. like the safety. Right. So like how, how do you kind of think about when you get involved in a business, you know, what what what's the role, like what's the channels? Obviously a lot of things now are about you really have to operate as a team. And if you're not, then, you know, good luck being like a, you know, a tennis player when you got to play, you know, football, right? You know, tackle football. Like <laughs> right. you're not, you, you got problems. So, how, how do you kind of think about like reporting lines? How do you think about this like new era of teamwork and groupthink and, yeah. you know, but everyone's still got to stay in their lane? Maybe get philosophical with me you for a ju- minute. You just hit it, right? <laughs> Staying in the lane is the key, but the lanes have to be defined first. Right. I mean, there, look, I, 
It's a tough struggle between the desire and the need for true collaboration and everybody's got each other's back and you're a team and you do this together. That is super important. That's culture to me. But you also need clearly defined roles and responsibilities. And at the end of the day, it's really about responsibility. So I don't like titles. I think titles can confuse things. Mm-hmm. To me, to me, a good org chart, you know, like you just drew your boxes on the paper, under each person should be the things for which they are responsible. I'm responsible for marketing. I'm responsible for revenue generation. I'm responsible for finance. I'm responsible for whatever. And to me, that's the real key is creating, putting the people in place and then defining what at the end of the day they're ultimately really responsible for. And then, you know, the CEO on top versus beneath or whatever, you know, that's, you know, it's hoopla stuff. But right. but I really believe in it. I mean, the, when you're setting the vision, setting the strategy, building the team, mm-hmm. you have to lead. But if you're lucky enough to nail the to nail all of that, you've got a solid strategy, you put killer place and people to execute on it, then you really turn into a support person. It, 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 you know this from years of doing this. If you, if a, you know, w- when you're in a leadership position, you've got people reporting to you and you're responsible for the bottom line or, you know, the full P&L, you end up spending your time on the weakest links, right? Because let's say you've got a team of five or seven people in whatever roles. The five who are kicking ass are the ones you'd leave alone and say, what can I do to help you? What resources do you need? What time do you need? What do you mm-hmm. need from me? And the one or two that are, you know, that aren't nailing it on all cylinders and hitting home runs, it's where you end up spending your time. So, yeah, I, I don't know how the thing should be drawn. I'm not, um, you know, much into that side of it. But uh, to me, it's just just about clear definitions, you know, buttoned mm-hmm. up strategy. Everyone has to buy in and agree and then get the hell out of the way and let them do their thing. So, so what areas of the halo sector do you resonates with you now? after doing what you've done in, in different companies and then also on the advisory side, you know, if you say, okay, look, here's like the next five years, I think like this is the different subcategories that you're passionate about where you see a lot of growth and you say, okay, if I can find a company, you know, this size that, you know, that there's definitely the ability to turn that into a hundred million dollar business. Right. I, I can answer the size question pretty definitively, but, but the sectors inside of this broadly defined halo thing, I can't, I can't give you a solid answer because I'm, I really like I've played, I've been involved in outdoor apparel, athletic apparel, action sports, you know, skate park stuff, fishing, um, fitness accessories, all kinds of stuff, health supplements. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've done a, you know, I've I've been kind of around this whole halo sector, which is one of the reasons I love your acronym so much. It's hard to describe, but what's important to me is that, and, and for all, for everyone in our industry, you want, you have to do something you're passionate about. Right. And, and I, so I can't sit here and say, it's gotta be fitness related, or it has to be supplements or it have to be this. But when I, join something else, whether it's an entrepreneur who has a great idea and it's trying to get off the ground, or it's a, you know, private equity owned hundred million dollar portfolio company that's off to the races. I just have to feel good about it. There has to be Mm -hmm. altruistic, you know, altruistic purpose and intent behind it. So I, I can't say it's, you know, here's my pinpointed center of the wheelhouse, but when I, when I see it, I know it, you know, it's got, it. it's got to feel good. And, and, you know, the, the product, the service has to feel like it's meaningful and, and has real oomph, but at the same time, the business model has to be solid. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of people spend their wheels on things that just don't have realistic potential. Yeah. How do you, um, you know, in, in the market over the last couple of years, I feel like, um, I don't know, I feel like I've been running like a hundred miles an hour. 
And I feel like I've seen like awesome business plans, crazy business plans, good companies that think that they're going to be the next, you know, $500 million business and some that, that are just don't make any sense to me. So how do you, you know, being a, a very thoughtful and, and methodical exec over time, you know, to say, okay, look, I might get into a business and there's some like irrational competition going on, or there's some like products out there that I don't think have any real efficacy, but they got some VC money and they're on television and, you know, they're going to like blow through their ad spend and then yeah. like things will kind of return to normal. So how do you kind of calibrate, like, is this the new normal where there's just like irrational capital going into companies and trying to build brands that don't really have great products and, or, you know, is that just like a, a bubble and like things will kind of subside? How do you think about it? For sure. The latter of those two things. If a company doesn't, it, the, the, the normal way of business working, right? And I'm going back to the late 1800s in any business is that you, you have to get to a place where you break even and then you start to generate free cash flow, right. right? It's about profitability. And that's how the world's always worked until the irrational exuberance of the last 10 or 15 years with VC. You know, so that kind of West Coast, Silicon Valley uh, mindset of throw a bunch of cash at something, hope you get a killer mm -hmm. return out of it someday. I think that's bubble-esque. You know, I don't, I don't think that's realistic thinking. It works sometimes. There are unicorns out there, and there are amazing companies even in our space that have done mm -hmm. cool things. But I think it's an unhealthy attitude to go into a business thinking, I'm going to lose money for many, many, many years, and I just, mm -hmm. just want to be funded and get a huge exit out of it. Yeah. I, I think, I think running, a, running a business intelligently needs – you have to have a realistic plan to get to, um, to, get to profitability and free cash flow. Yeah. I was just uh, – just as an aside here, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were telling me, oh, you know, like we work as an example. And I thought about, oh, like, okay, you know, we all know what the, the, the issues there were, but whose fault is it? Did they go out and say, I'm going to go raise $10 billion, or did somebody say, I'll give you $10 billion, right? I mean, it's like yep. – Who's, who's, who's at fault? The investor for saying, hey, look, we want you to try and create a monopoly business model here right, and we'll let right. you fund, you know, fund it through to get there? Or is it the CEO and the management team saying like, hey, I need this money and I'm going to do it? Like there, at some point, like there's, there's um, plausible uh, cause, you know, to the right. investors for basically allowing that to happen at the same time. 100%. Look, I can tell you're, I can tell you're a capitalist. I am too, right? Companies exist, for-profit companies exist for the benefit of their shareholders. Right. At the end of the day, the shareholders are responsible, right? And shareholders hire a board to make decisions and so forth. But a CEO is just executing at the direction of what they think is right for shareholders and the board and they're reporting to a board. So I think, um, I think, shareholders and investors are are very responsible. If SoftBank put a ton of money into WeWork, right, they were enabling what was going on, right? right? They were exactly. saying, here's a lot of money. You don't need to worry about making any money. Just mm -hmm. keep doing what you're doing. Make this sexy, and we'll exit it someday. I think uh, that would work. scare the shit out of me, actually, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Knowing that, like, okay, I got to tell X amount of time until, like, the clock runs out. Right. I mean, that's one thing. You know, talking about, like, the clock running out, um, you know, when you think about a company – and you think about, okay, like each one of the companies that you're advising or that you got involved with, whether it was a fishing company, like, okay, you're basically doing another experiment. Wherever you are right now, you're doing an experiment for growth. You're doing an experiment towards like product expansion. You're doing an experiment of like hiring new people, going into new markets. So how do you kind of, because I, I can tell how you, how you think about things. It's like, 
all right, we tried this, it didn't work or it worked and like, let's keep repeating or let's change this. And it's probably not emotional. It's like, okay, did this happen? Like, this is, you know, let's figure out what we're going to do next. So how do you kind of think about these new opportunities that you look at and say, okay, um, the next phase of growth is, is an experiment. It's not like the right to continue to grow into perpetuity. Like we're, like we're, we're doing new things. Right. How do you, how do you think about that when you kind of set a team and almost like in sports, like it's okay, we got the 2019 season and we're going to see what the result is. And then we get an off season. Like it would be nice if we had an off season, right. You know, where you can like rehab for three months as a business executive. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's try and okay. institute that. I'll yeah. still stay a capitalist, but I wouldn't mind like two or three months to like rehab. Sounds, sounds like Europe to me. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Yeah. yeah. It's three or four weeks, but it should be longer. Anyway, right. um, back to the point of just like, like I want entrepreneurs to understand, like, look, you're at a certain point and your, your pivot or your inflection point has the same amount of risks and, and returns, if you will. Yep. Yeah, that's, I don't know if that's, that's a question or not. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I get what you're, I get where you're going. It, I think a lot of it just comes down to honesty, right? It's we we dive into something and you have um, you know all these assumptions and a, a plan and things are inevitably going to go wrong. But when things do, I, I I think it's important along the way to do gut checks, mm-hmm. right? Just assessments every three months, every six months in the early days, certainly every year as a company gets more mature, sit down and say, what's going well? What's not going well? Let's be really freaking honest with ourselves about this and figure out how we need to pivot and change. And if something, if something's really early stage and you get drastically different outlooks, then, then you have to be honest. You know, I scrapping and fighting and clawing mm-hmm. for another few years on a model that's proven to be not successful, something people that really, you know, should think twice about. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I think being honest with oneself has, has a lot to do with it, but I, you know, I don't know. Every, everybody has a different way of looking at things. I'm a, like you, I'm a analytical type a, you know, pretty hard charging dude. But, um, later in my career, I've, I try to, I try to listen to my heart and my gut more mm-hmm. and, and try to think less. I try to feel more and think less. And that's treated me pretty well. It's, uh, you know, it's, you can analyze the hell out of something, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't feel right, then probably isn't. Mm-hmm. So, so on some of the companies you've been working with recently, or some of the things that you're that you're interested in or find intriguing, whether you know is that on the some of the products with innovative technologies in them. Um, you know, we're, obviously, you've got a lot of background in, in accessories and, and and apparel and different types of technology. So, how do you think about uh, technology that? you personally think is amazing, but it's like way ahead of its time? Or how do you kind of like balance between great product, you know, in five years is going to be a great product versus, you know, like what's, what is the market ready for now? Yeah. Good, good question. I, you know, I don't, I'm not sitting here with, with an idea of, um, of what that is, but there are business basics and things I've learned over time that, that very much affect my opinion on things when they come up. Um, you know, number one, the, the physical product world, right. I've run mostly physical product companies, fitness accessories or apparel or other things, physical product world, actually utilization of capital and efficient utilization of capital is a, is a huge determining factor of, you know, my level of interest in Mm. something. And the physical product world is an example of that. It is hard to run a business when you have to build it, pay for it and, put it in inventory and then wait 
to sell it, right? Yeah, sure. Because ca- it's very tough. Working capital requirements are pretty tough on a business like that. Phys- store, you know, things with physical store locations or, you know, physical, you know, like gyms and so forth. It's utilization of capital is, is tough. So um, that that's, a you know, I, I think about use of capital a lot when I get mm-hmm. into things. I, I like things that are efficient. And, you know, if, if they don't suck capital up a lot over time, then there's opportunity for large-scale exit at the end. But, but tech is... Um, technology has changed everything and the companies that are the most successful today uh, do that. Fortunately about my background, you know, it's a largely a physical product background, some services, but almost everything I've touched have, has some point of differentiation. I told myself a long time ago that I wouldn't get involved in something, run a company or get involved in a project if it didn't have one of two things, either either really innovative, different product that consumers give a shit about, right? Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing because something can be different and innovative, but if consumers don't care at the end of the day, there's no way to to turn it into revenues. And preferably that point of differentiation hopefully is protected by intellectual property um, because that can change the world. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. uh, I've run companies that uh, our financial success had a lot to do with the fact that we had strong patent protection. So either a truly differentiated product that consumers care about that's hopefully protected by IP or a really strong brand concept. And that's important too, because there are a lot of companies that have been built that weren't particularly innovative, mm-hmm. but had a killer brand and did a great job with marketing. And that's, you know, that matters too. Yeah, somebody said to me uh, a couple of weeks ago, like, all that company has is like a great brand. It's like, well, that's it's a pretty big deal. It is a hell of a Pretty big, big promise that yep. you can put a couple of letters together and some colors and like people, something resonates inside of them about yep. that brand. So. We're on the same page on that. So uh, when, when you go into these companies or, or uh, people that know you for a long time, what are some of the, you know, the Anderson quotes would be like, oh, you, you, know, uh, you know, Brian definitely said this or like <laughs> he's always saying that. What, what is, we're trying I, to collect good good quotes along the way here. I don't think I should say that on. Uh, <laughs> say that no, on. we can bleep it out. We got that kind of technology here. I wouldn't say it's patented technology, but we got bleeped. Te- no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't have any special things, but I'm but I'm really about culture and people and team more mm-hmm. than anything. You know, you, you have to look at a product and a business model and whatever it is and try to figure out a right profitable model. But at the end of the day, it comes down to people. So things like work hard, play hard. That's one of the things I've talked about a lot. Like, let's go freaking hard and bust our asses and, and kick ass and get this company doing well, but we're going to go play and have fun at the same time. Yeah. Whether it's drinks after work or it's a weekend retreat or getaway or go do, you know, a fitness class together. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty big on that. That's great. Well, we look forward to working with you. We look forward to having you as a Halo ambassador. So here's your uh, initial crowning awesome. of being able to use the term as much as you see fit. And let's look at opportunities together. Uh, And if you need to reach Brian, his information will be on the podcast. And uh, as you know, we've done uh, a fair amount of executive search and putting people into the right places. And hopefully we can find something interesting to work on with it. That'd be great. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Pete. Awesome.